Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 30 to 44. Uh, you can follow along in the Pew Bibles, your own Bible, or the screen. And um, if, you, if you don't mind, in body or in spirit, would you stand for the hearing of God's word? And let us do this in responsive reading. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, and they all ate and were satisfied. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever noticed that you and I, people, tend to be about numbers? But if you look through the Bible, something struck me this week. Jesus is really never caught up with numbers. Big numbers doesn't amaze him. Small numbers don't bother him. So, for example, even in the parable, Jesus says there was 100 sheep, uh, and the shepherd came back, and then he counted 99, but one was missing. And for that one, what does he do? He goes after it. He doesn't say, at least I have 99. That's an A-plus average almost. You know, let me keep that. He goes after it. He sees a big crowd of 5,000, and he doesn't go, wow. Father in heaven, you are amazing. We've got a big party. Um, Huge or small, Jesus never gets amazed by the numbers. But humans, uh, I'll just speak about me because I could only speak about me. Like, I find myself bothered because I get caught up with numbers. I actually like numbers. I was a finance major. I like analytics. I like metrics. So, you know, humans, we, we measure success by how much do we own? What do we accomplish? What do we have? What's in our bank account? What's the size of our paycheck? We, we measure success and worth sometimes by the number. Uh, pastors do this. Congregation is filled with 200 people. Wow, thank you, Lord. What a blessed day. And then what if there's like 10 people? What do we say? God, you're miserable. This is awful. You know, what do we, so the way that we are bothered by emotion and numbers is big. 
you know, young people today, they find their worth by GPA, SAT score, likes, and then followers. I only have 5,000 followers. You have 35. You're amazing. You know? Wow, Taylor Swift, she shut down Ticketmaster with the numbers. So we find worth that way. By the way, are you a Swifty? It's confession. Search time. Yeah? And so humans, you know, we, 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 our metric of success, a lot of it is numbers. Uh, how do we do? Our denomination is declining. There's a, there's a groaning. Uh, we're not doing great. And so you see Jesus on one hand, never bothered by number. It's fascinating. He never says, I need more. But we have us who are caught up with number. I just read the other day that young adults, emerging adults, the way they measure success and hope in life is experiences. They want to retire at 35 so they could travel the world. They, they want to accumulate. They want to have this experience. The most experience I could get, life is good. And so Jesus here in today's text, he sees this big crowd. They, they've tracked him down, and he comes ashore when he's trying to find a desolate place. And they're at the desolate place. And Jesus' response is very unique. Disciples, on the other hand, they look at this crowd, and they're like, oh, we were supposed to have little rest and, rest and rejuvenation. What is this? They're stressed. They're concerned. Oh, my goodness. I, we just came back from a mission trip that Jesus sent us off to him earlier, Mark 6. Are we serving again? And so Jesus isn't thinking logistics or calculation, but the disciples are. How much will it cost? What's the logistics of getting two-thirds of salary to buy bread and bring it here into a desolate place? I think that's logical. Some of us, all of us would have thought that way, yes? I don't think anyone would say, oh, just trust Jesus. If you were the disciples, you would have thought the same. And so the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, it's truly an amazing story, not because 5,000 people were fed. If you read Matthew and Mark, that's like the surface level, but there's so much more going on. As I read it over and over again, to Jesus, it may never have been about the size of the miracle, but more important things were revealed through the miracle for the disciples and for us today. So I want to explore that. As we look at this story, uh, do you notice you read these childhood stories and you find something new? This is not one of the parts of the sermon, but did you ever know that Jesus broke them up into groups of 50 and 100? Isn't that fascinating? I, I never caught that. I read this so many times. I never caught that Jesus broke them up into 50 and 100, which means churches that are around 50 or 100, perfect size. So we're right there. Saddleback, they're in trouble. I don't know. So, so let's break down Mark 6, 30 to 44. So today's text begins with disciples. They were sent two by two to Jesus. Don't take anything. Just take a staff and teach them what I taught you. And if they reject you, basically shake the dust off your feet and come back and move on. And, and one of our, uh, Scott, made this incredible insight in our Bible study. The, part of the reason the crowd is so big is that these disciples were successful. What they shared about Jesus, the message carried, and they want to hear and know about this Jesus. So the disciples returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done, verse 30. And we don't know exactly what they did, but we know it was somewhat impactful. Verse 31, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They were so busy 
with the crowds coming in and out that you have never time to eat. I know what that feels like because I help my parents in the dry cleaner in New Jersey, in New York. And so when you have so many customers, it's 2 o'clock, and then finally my mom says, are you hungry? And my stomach is like bone sticking out. I'm like drooling. Yeah, I'm a little hungry. So when life is so busy, you don't have time to eat. And Jesus sees his disciples saying, hey, you look tired. Let's get out of here. So they go into a boat to a desolate place. Jesus says, come away, rest. They had no leisure even to eat. I, I love that Jesus cares about our fatigue and need for rest. I don't know what kind of God you believe, but if you believe in a God that says work, 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 try harder, try harder, try harder, do more, that's not the God of the Bible. That's probably a cultural filter projected from our past or our culture or our family. But you see, God says what? I care about your rest. Did you eat? Let's get away. Verse 32, they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So they're traveling. One thing they did wrong was they're traveling close enough to the shore where people are seeing them. But they're going to the wilderness. And this word is fascinating. It's used in Mark and Matthew the first time they're going into the wilderness when was it first mentioned in Mark and Matthew? Jesus was led away by the Spirit to the wilderness. He fasted there. And in this wilderness, Jesus, we saw that John the Baptist was proclaiming the way of the Lord is coming. And then now Jesus is heading towards there, ready to do this miracle that we're about to read. But the point is, Mark wants us to know this is a desolate place. 31 32 and 35 verses, they say, desolate, desolate, desolate. And so imagine how excited the disciples are. Finally, we get to get vacation. Um, and then that's not what's going to happen. Verse 33, now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now just be with the disciples. You come out and you see a mumbling of people. Uh, can we just groan together? Humor me. Just go, oh, one, two, three. Like, I, I, that's what the disciples were probably thinking. Oh, my goodness. Jesus, I think he's going to do something with them. Peter, he's, he's at it again. Um, so disciples were not getting the rest they wanted. And if you look at this verse, Jesus sees the great crowd and how does he respond to this crowd? The modern world would be like, this is great. Our church is growing. We are making an impact. People are drawn to Christ. There is a huge crowd. We need to build a bigger church. Let's go buy that land in Fullerton and let's go put up a big building. Let's expand on La Mirada. I mean, this is how modern people think. And Jesus, verse 34, he responds immediately with these words. He sees this crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus does not care about the size. He cares about the condition of the people. And that makes me pause. When's the last time you cared about the condition of people? We, we use people. We have friends so they could benefit us. We, we have we have relationships, not because we care about them, but what they do for us. We see numbers, but 
when's the last time you cared about the condition of the person sitting next to you? When did the last time we cared about the condition of the people outside of the church? It's a very telling question. You see, Jesus comes out, and he's concerned immediately with the condition because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What happens to sheep without a shepherd? Call it out. What happens if a sheep don't have shepherd? They're lost. They're wandering aimlessly. They literally do that, I read. They just kind of wander. <laughs> they don't know where to go. They can't defend themselves. Wolves come, coyotes come, and then they, they can't eat. They don't know where the great pasture is. Psalm 23, the good shepherd leads us to the pastures. Oh, this is the best grass. Thank you, shepherd. But what does she do? They are lost. And it reminds us of people today. It's not just the young people, but tell me if this sounds familiar. People jumping from relationship to relationship. Maybe the next boyfriend will be happy. Maybe the next boyfriend. Maybe the next, next job. The next job. This job will make me happy. You know, this church, this church, this, 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 the new state will make me happy. California, it's terrible. We're all kind of lost looking for something we haven't found yet. The U2 song, still haven't found what I'm looking for. And so we are like sheep, addicted, maybe entrapped. But there's a connotation here. They're sheep without a shepherd because they haven't been led well. The leaders and teachers of Israel have been teaching their own truths, making up their own laws that benefit them. And so we live in a time now where who's the teacher to our generation? Is it public school? Is it TV? My generation was a TV. Remember YouTube? I'm not YouTube. Latchkey, BookTube. Who is teaching our kids? We are lost. We're like sheep without a shepherd. We can totally relate. And spiritually speaking, Jesus sees them. They don't have God. They are lost. So he's not amazed by the crowd size. He's filled with love and pity. The Hebrew word for compassion is this deep pain in the bowels of your stomach that bring forth pity and love. Um, you know, I, I share this because this is the most, the last time I had that distinctly was when Michelle was like eight months old. And she had, she had to go to the doctor, and they had to prick her heel to get blood. And, like, they had to go, pop. <laughs> and she's, like, fine. And then she, ah! <laughs> and Kathy and I are just wincing in pain, and we're like, oh, I'm so sorry. She was so sick. She was vomiting up, like, it was like a movie, like, projectiles. And we're like, Kathy and I were thinking, oh, the, the pain. We wish we could be sick for you. This compassion, deep. Jesus had that for humanity because he's seeing humanity struggling. And so at this moment, it gives me a little peace that God sees the struggle of humanity in Israel, Palestine, Ukraine. That God is a God who is not detached. He sees the struggle of humanity. He cares. He is not a statue that demands worship, but he is a relational God who cares about the brokenness and the pain that people are going through. Evil exists today, and God cares that we are subject to it. This is our God. First thing he sees, he has compassion. Do we have compassion? Do we have compassion? Consumers cannot have compassion, by the way. Consumeristic mentality. And so this is where Jesus goes. And now we get to the fun part. 
It's how Jesus feeds them. Verse 35, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So disciples are catching on. The crowd's big. They're hungry. Can you send them away? Because, like, it's time to go. <laughs> um, maybe you've been to a party where you go to your friend and be like, hey, time to go. Let's go. Jesus is being told by the disciples, hey, um, it's late. They're hungry. Let's go get them fed. And disciples want the crowd gone. They recognize the hunger of the community. And here's what Jesus says to them. He but he answered them, verse 37. Can we read it together? You give them something to eat. What an odd response. There are 5,000 men and maybe 8,000 total with children, youth. Lord Jesus, send them out. There's crowds getting too big. It's late. Let's go home. And he says, you give them something to eat. Um, it's almost like, what are you going to do about it? We look to God to say, help this pain. And sometimes God turns to us and says what? Yes, I want to help. What are you going to do about it? Um, we're like the hit and run Christians. We like to like say, hey, prayer. Like hit, hit and run, say a prayer and go. But sometimes it's harder to stay in that discomfort and be used. We'd rather say, oh, I'll pray for you. Hey, I am praying for you. Say, lifting up a prayer. Facebook, I see that all the time. Lifting up a prayer. And I always wonder this. How many of them are really going to take time to say, Lord, I'm praying for Daniel. Lord, I'm praying for Shirley. You know, and so Jesus looks to us and says, you, I want to use you. Verse 37. And they said to him, in a logical response, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? 200 denarii is two-thirds of an annual salary. So let's say California median salary is $50,000. Two-thirds of it would be like, I don't know, 40-something, 40 $38,000. So imagine <laughs> they're saying, how are we going to get that much money to bring bread for this many people? Logical question. Here's Jesus thinking about the need, and the disciples are thinking about numbers again. Right? And Jesus continues, verse 38 and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they came back and said, five and two fish. Now, again, this is one of those cases where I read this since I was maybe 12 years old. Uh, youth group kids, if you could read the whole Bible before you go to college, that would be amazing. And it's doable. So read the Bible, kind of bring it together. Challenge to you, read the whole Bible before you go to college or by college. That would be great. So I read this many times. How many loaves do you, do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they respond five and two fish. And my professor at Fuller pointed this out. Do you notice anything unique about the disciples' response? Jesus didn't ask about fish. How many loaves do you have? Disciples say five and two fish. And so, what it, so my professor makes this incredible insight, and he says, the disciples offered to Jesus what was uniquely available to them, even though he didn't ask for it. Unique to us, we're fishermen, we only have five loaves, but we happen to have two fish. 
And what he's saying here is this, that Jesus is asking them, maybe they're catching on. He, they're not offering only what Jesus asked for, but they're offering uniquely what is distinct by them. In other words, they are willing to offer, I don't know if this is impressive or this will do much, but Lord Jesus, take it. And I want to say this. So where we take that is, each of us has a distinct, unique, special offering that we can make to Jesus that only you can give. And so when you bail out, the kingdom of God misses out on something unique and distinct that only you can give. And these are not just gifts. Some of these are pains. Some of these are your past. Some of these things are distinctly your story that if you say, Jesus, here's five loaves, but here is all my weirdness over the childhood. Take it if, you, if it could help. Jesus will what? He'll take it. He'll work it, and he'll bless it for others. And so what is Jesus asking of you for his purpose? What is Jesus asking? Why, is, why are you here today? Why are you here in this life right now? What is Jesus asking of you? He's asking something. And what is distinctly you that you can give? And so Jesus loves inviting us into this purpose and he uses the disciples to feed the 5,000. And so it goes on, and final, just wrap up. As he feeds, there's an abundance of baskets. He divides them into 50 to 100. And then he takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and starts distributing it. He does it with the fish as well. I don't know what that looks like, by the way. I'm, I'm a very visual person. Like, what does it look like to break fish and, like, guts? And I don't know, how does it multiply? But he does it, and little by little, they're being fed. He doesn't feed them. He feeds them so much that there are 12 baskets left over. And that's a whole symbolism in itself. And so what is Jesus showing here? What, as we kind of wrap this up, the feeding of the multitude is amazing. It's so amazing, he'll do it again later. He does it twice, you know that. But what's the real message here? Well, I think going back to the first reaction, Jesus, when he sees the crowd, what does Jesus do? He has compassion because they are sheep without a shepherd, like many of us were or maybe are. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And therefore, what does he do? Going back to verse 34, the last sentence, when you're a sheep without a shepherd, what does the first thing Jesus do? He began to teach them many things, which is so weird. Jesus has compassion, so he teaches them. And so the message to us today is this, from this story. Jesus is not only meeting our physical need, but as he's teaching them, he's showing them the true shepherd they've been looking for. He's been teaching them the kingdom of God, that the Messiah has come. Physical hunger and spiritual hunger are symbolic here. And so what you and I need the most, and we pray usually for the physical but we want a Christ who will be both the one who cares for us physically but nourishes us spiritually. And that's what makes these sheep find their shepherd. The question I was asking myself is, am I just content that God meets my needs? I have a good life. I'm satisfied. You know, life is, we have health and we're thankful. We're not the wealthiest, but we are comfortable. We are, am I comfortable with that? Or do we go further? 
Do you have a shepherd you follow in Christ? I suspect American church today, we are content with give us our daily bread. What is Jesus showing here? here? Do you have a shepherd that you follow? I am the true shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 11, what does he say? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, to tie this all together, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ezekiel 34? Because I want us to underline this. Ezekiel 34. It's after Lamentations, uh, Ezekiel, right before Daniel. This is all after Isaiah, Jeremiah. And then Ezekiel 34, verse 21, 25. God says to Israel, listen to these words. This is written thousands of years ago before this, hundreds of years ago before this. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Why does Jesus' heart ache for the lost sheep? Because he is the good shepherd that God is talking about and has come. He has come to judge a sheep and the sheep. He has come to feed them and to establish his heart over them. And this sheep, shepherd, is different. He's not like a human shepherd king. See, human shepherd kings demand of the sheep. Jesus says, I will protect you. A human shepherd king will provide, provide like commands. But this shepherd king provides purpose, significance. But lastly, human kings will demand your allegiance, right? What does a good shepherd do? He lays down his life to prove his allegiance to us. There is only one shepherd that has done that in this world. His name is Jesus. This feeding of the 5,000, the amazing story is not that many were fed. I think the story is Jesus is telling the world the good shepherd has come that God prophesied about in Ezekiel. Friends, may you be blessed. May God hear your prayers. And my final charge though is may you follow the shepherd don't just have the good shepherd are you following the shepherd with your life because he is devoted to you he is allegiant to you let's pray heavenly father as we gather before you we are so short of providing for ourselves and in this world. Uh, even with technology and advancement of civilization, we still have wars because the problem is deep within us. And the world may say there's good in us and we just have to bring it out. Your word says we are lost. We are sinful since birth. So we thank you for bringing your son Jesus to be our shepherd. The one who has compassion for not just us, but for the world that's lost and in grieving and pain. God, give us eyes to see and heart to follow and humility to lay down ourselves and to follow the voice of the one who
who knows our name. Help us to live into this purpose by being those who dedicate all that we have for your kingdom purposes. For you are the one who invites us to do the work together. And with our feeble gifts and talents, as small as it may be, may you use it to magnify your power to display to the world that you are the true living God of Israel. And so we pray this for not just CPCLM, but for this entire world, that we may see and know that you are the shepherd who came to lay his life down for us once and for all. We pray these things in his name. Amen.